If you've got a Bible or a phone or an iPad or however you read the Bible, turn to the book of John and... Uh, because this is the only scripture that probably won't come on the screen. The rest should come up behind me as I talk this morning. Is that my water, isn't it? Yeah. I want to talk for a little bit and then we're going to enjoy some more worship in God's presence. Is that okay? A sense of God uh, in the room. Wonderful. Oh, I feel trembly with the presence of God. Lovely. Oh, right, while you're there, so you've gone to John 3, it's John 3 that you're going to need in a little bit, okay, um, we're talking about being a disciple, following the master, and um, as, as we've been sharing, we've been sharing this for a few weeks, Darren, you shared so well, so brilliantly last week, mate, I don't know what Darren's drinking at the moment, but he's just full of God when he preaches, it's amazing. Um, and that, that there was there was great, and I kind of want to bounce off the back of what he was saying last week. Um, when we talk about discipleship, can I be honest with you, as a preacher and as a churchy leader, um, I'm aware that sometimes for some people in the room it can sound like too much too soon. Uh, so we talk about discipleship, and we think, I mean, Darren used it, you know, discipleship or disciple. It's almost got the word discipline in there. Turn to the person next to you and say, not too sure about discipline. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm a grown-up now. It doesn't, it doesn't really appeal to me, you know. Um, and, and so I'm, I'm aware when we talk about discipleship or even when we say, hey, look, we're building the church in this way and that way and we're going to try and relate to each other in these groups and do that. And there's words like, you know, grow and stretch and become like Christ and correction and all these. And, you know, I'm aware that there are some eyes in the room that go, hmm, not me, buddy. You know, I'm going to the back row. Um, and I just want to almost like a movie that sometimes uh, starts halfway through, then goes back to the beginning. I want to go back to the beginning in the room. Because disciple is not your primary identity. And so I want to talk to you about what precedes disciple. Because if you don't have that settled, it will become uncomfortable when, every, when anybody mentions things like discipline, disciple, grow, stretch, be like Christ. And we come out with, you know, Chris and I's three wonderful pillars, a life of outreach, a life of service, a life in circles. And, you know, I know some in the room will just go, not me yet, thanks very much. And so I want to talk about what comes before that, because until that is settled, uh, you can't go on to the next stage. Or if you do, it feels like coercion. It doesn't feel healthy. And I'll be honest with you, it doesn't come out healthy. Okay, so you can kind of go through the motions and think, well, I'll, I'll try and keep up with where everybody's going. Uh, uh, but if you miss this first step, you're going to miss the real joy of all this, all right? And so I was, I was thinking about this, and I, I came across a scripture. Don't turn to it. It'll come up behind you. So pop up the next slide. In fact, I'll just read it from the, from the thing behind me, too. Um, and this is a scripture in Exodus. So God has met with Moses. Remember, the children of Israel are in Egypt. They're in slavery. And Moses meets God at the talking bush. And, um, and if you got that, the burning bush. Uh, but it was talking to him. And, and God sends Moses to go and share with them. Essentially, I'm going to set you free and bring you out. But this is what happened. Look, Moses, Exodus 6 verse 9 says, Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him. Why? Because of their discouragement, anxiety, slavery, and cruel bondage. There are some things 
that might be good, but if they're said at the wrong time, essentially our hearts are still going, la, 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 too much, too soon, can't take it yet. Because, listen to this, disciple is a journey. It's a journey that you're on. And so I want to take you back to stage one so you can go, ah, I get it now. That's what I'm hoping anyway. We're going to have a little moment in God's presence together uh, at the end and just remember what this is all about. Otherwise, disciple will never make sense. Now, this verse, actually, the thing that Moses had shared with the children of Israel is a really helpful journey for us to look at, to just get in mind. I'm going to share with you two journeys today. And here's this first one. Uh, So show the next slide, if you would. This is what Moses had said to them. He said this. This is what, therefore, say to the Israelites. That's God saying to Moses to tell the Israelites, I am the Lord your God. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. I mean, I don't know what there is in there not to listen to. It all sounds good to me, but listen, but they could not hear because they were discouraged and anxious and in slavery. I just couldn't quite hear the message because I haven't taken the journey that you've taken Moses. Now, there's a journey in this. You see, now work with me. Say Passover. Passover. I'm going to take you very, very quickly. And look, if this is kind of, I can't quite get where you're going, just let the next five to seven minutes pass you by. Okay, because it'll pick up in the second version of the journey, which, which more people will get. But if you've got a bit of biblical knowledge, this will make sense to you. They use this verse in the Passover. In the Passover, which of course celebrates the time when the angel of death was going over the land of Egypt and killing all the firstborn. But God said, if you get into your house, if you paint the doorposts with blood, and if you sit and have a celebratory Passover meal, I will pass over your house and not harm you. So now Passover every year is celebrated by the Jewish people in remembrance that God did not kill the firstborn of their house. And they use this verse when they take Passover. And in it, there's four phrases that they use. And it's a long evening thing. And they use each phrase and it corresponds with a different part of the celebration. So if you go to the next slide, I'm going to really quickly give you the journey. I'm going to give you this version of the journey of a disciple. Is that okay? And what they would do is they would take four cups of wine across a long evening and they would take a cup and read a verse, one of the phrases from what Moses said to them that they couldn't actually hear when he first said it. And they would celebrate the different stages of their journey. Everyone say journey. And this is what they would do. They would take cup number one and they would say, this is what God said first, I will bring you out from under the yoke. And they called it the cup of sanctification. They would have a drink and have a celebrate and have a pray and all that kind of stuff. Then later in the evening, they take a second cup and they'd say the next phrase, I will free you from being slaves. They called it the cup of deliverance. They'd say it, they'd pray, they'd do some stuff. Then later in the evening, cup three, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Can you see a journey going on here? I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. They call it the cup of redemption. We've been bought back. And cup four, I will take you as my own people. They called it the cup of praise. And so slowly as the evening went on, they took this journey together. Now listen to this for a moment. Cup number one, I will bring you out from under the yoke. The cup of sanctification. The first thing God wants to do in your life, this is what sanctification means. It means to set apart. Say to set apart. So God was going to come to them and take them out of Egypt and set them apart for himself. 
He says, I'm going to bring you out from under the yoke. And they say, right, that's God getting us. It's a free gift. It's a work of God to come out from under the yoke of slavery. Cup number two, I will free you from being slaves. Now, wouldn't you go, well, that's cup number one. If they've come out from Egypt, surely they are free from being slaves. Listen to this. The Israelites came out of Egypt, but it took a long time for Egypt to get out of the Israelites. The first part of your journey, God saves me. I feel set apart from the world. It's a free gift. He loves me. He's for me. But who knows? There's a second part to the journey. And until this happens, you can't even hear, disciple. And it's this. God brings you out of the world. But listen to me. He has to get the world out of you. He brings you out of slavery, but he has to get the slavery out of you. For 40 years, they still walked and talked like slaves, even though they were free. So it's a journey. God brings you out of the world. But part two, now I'm going to get the world out of you. Because who knows, you can be saved, but still full of fear. Still full of anxiety, still full of lust, still full of anger, still full of poverty mindedness, still, still full of God doesn't love me. Do people like me? Still emotionally unstable. Anybody? You see, it's a journey. And so we start with, right, I'm, I'm coming into the kingdom, but now I've still got to get the darkness out of me. And until I've got the darkness, the slavery, the anxiety out of me, I can't quite here be a disciple without it feeling like coercion and manipulation. It's the cup of deliverance. I've been brought out, but now stuff's coming out of me. Right. Or, or a nicer word than deliverance, because we all think if we're Pentecostals, we think of demons and creepy stuff like that. The cup of freedom. Who wants a bit of freedom? Who's bored of being fearful and underconfident and overshy and social phobias and anxiety and worry and hypochondria? Anybody in the room? If you're journeying with God, that stuff should leave you. But if you're stuck at cup number one, well, he's brought me out, but I'm still scared of everything that moves. Take a journey. Take a journey to the cup of deliverance and say, right now I need to find freedom. I'm out of the world now to get the world out of me. Then they went on to the next stage. And listen, it's redemption, which means to bring back to your original state, to bring back to the calling you should have had all along, to bring you back to the original thing he had in mind for you to be and for you to do, to redeem you. You can't come back to who you're supposed to be until he's freed you from all the stuff inside you. Does that make sense? And then the final one, the cup of praise. Why, why the cup of praise? I heard someone say this brilliantly. It's, I will take you as my own people. It's the first time it becomes a community, healthy. All those phobias that wreck our lives, gone. All those conflicts that, that we live with, gone. Suddenly now we're a people and it says the cup of praise. The word praise there, like the word hallelujah, the, the first part of that word, halal, literally means it is not the act of praising God like we did first thing this morning. It is a condition. It's a state. In other words, I become complete. I become praise. So I, I, God brings me out. Then God gets the slavery out of me. Then he t- gives me my purpose, discipleship. I find my purpose in God. And then I become a praise in the earth. I'm an example of God's grace and God's goodness and God's kindness. But you can't get to cup three or cup four without cup two. You can't run in discipleship while we're still full of fears and phobias and anxiety. And I would say rebellion. But again, if somebody's got not 
drunk from the cup of deliverance, when I say rebellion, they think, oh, that's bad. So I'll say mistrust or suspicion. In other words, a healthy heart that isn't mistrusting everyone that's around. If you mistrust authority, now there might be good reason for it. But listen, you want to get delivered. You want it to come out of you. Why? Because you want to get to cup three. My purpose. My purpose. So there is a journey in our walk. And this is the thing. They couldn't hear that till the stuff had got out of them. You know what I'm saying? So let's go to the next slide and do it from another angle. The journey of a disciple. So we've been looking at number two. And this is a three-step journey. It's roughly the same thing, though. To learn, to follow, to adhere, to, to embrace. This is what Jesus wants us to be. And I think we all get that if we read the Bible. I know I've got to somehow get to that place of discipleship. But understand, God doesn't want you to become a disciple, to be knowledgeable. The purpose of the journey is he wants you to become a disciple, to be an influence, a leader. Well, literally, because he tells us, make disciples. In other words, I'm going to go and make other people that are going to walk in this way too. Okay, so it's a journey. But disciple, leader, neither of those are the start point. They're the result of something so beautiful. And I hope you get this in the next 15 minutes because this is the point of this morning. Is that okay? Go to the next slide. Your primary, primary, nothing else can happen till you get this identity. You're a son. You are a child of God. Now, I use son because Bible uses son. And the Bible uses son because in the day it literally meant the son, particularly the firstborn son, was the one who got all, you know, the best inheritance, the biggest inheritance, the double portion. Right? So he's using the language, whether you're a son, whether you're a, a man or a woman in this room, you're a son. Okay. And whether you're a man or a woman in this room, guys, you're a bride. Okay. Just biblical language. All right. Just work with it. Just tell all the guys, you look like a beautiful bride. Go on, tell them right now. I can feel all the testosterone in the room is cringing you're a child of God now if you got your Bible John I said turn to John 3 only when you grasp that you're a child of God can you begin to take the steps of discipleship in other words I've got to figure out that I'm loved and precious before I can really take the steps It's got to be, listen to this carefully, connection before correction. Where there's no connection, correction is virtually impossible. It just feels wrong and manipulative and harsh. Do you know what I mean? And yet all of us would read the book of Proverbs and go, well, you know, having people give me counsel is going to help me build a good life. In, In any sphere of influence and development, you would go, I want mentors and coaches and people to help develop me. But listen, in this life, unless we grasp, I'm loved, I'm precious, God loves me, I'm of immense value, we can't move on. And our brains are just going, no, it just feels wrong. It feels wrong because you haven't got this first one. You're a son of God. Right? And John, John 3, Jesus is talking about being born again. It's an incredible phrase. Just think about it. Jesus said, you must be born again. And... Um, in verse 5, John 3, verse 5, it says, I tell you the truth. This won't come up behind me. Just read it if you've got it. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. Listen to this verse. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. That's an amazing phrase in there. Flesh gives birth to flesh, 
but spirit gives birth to spirit. In 1970, on the 28th of April, yes, you missed my birthday. Jared Cooper was born to Marion Cooper. That was my flesh. Flesh. Marion and David gave birth to a bit more flesh. Jared. Handsome. Always an improvement on the previous generation. That's just the way we go. And they kept having sons till they had a perfect one. And that was... I'm not getting any amens from over there right now. I don't know what's going on, missing something. No, actually, the truth is, just like all of you in this room, according to the Bible, I was born ignoble, in sin. I was selfish by the age of two. Okay, earlier, right? In other words, we're all born a bit broken. This world is broken. Just watch the news. We're all broken. Power's broken. Politics is broken. Health is broken. Nations are broken. Every individual you meet this week is broken. Flesh can only give birth to flesh, but Jesus said, but spirit gives birth to spirit. So Jared was born in 1970, but in 1977, God gave birth to a different kind of Jared. So spirit gives birth to spirit. So I said to Jesus, I want you in my life. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins to cleanse me, to, to make me holy. I accept that as a free gift from you. I want to be your son. And spirit gave birth to spirit. And my spirit came alive. And somehow, whereas before it didn't really make sense and it all seemed a bit strange. And yet I was strangely attracted to it all. Now, even at the age of seven, I'm beginning to grasp something in my childlike way of God. God, something opens up in me to who God is. His spirit gave birth to my spirit. Now, the Bible also says that we're adopted. And I'm really glad about that because his spirit gave birth to my spirit. And I became Christ in Jared, the hope of glory. Right. And then he adopted me. What does that mean? Well, it's still the same me. Have you noticed when you get born again and saved and you come into God's family, it's still the same you. The hairline's still going backwards. You've still got the scars. You've still got the memories. So his spirit gave birth to my spirit. Then he adopted the rest of me. And now I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. Right, so now I'm new, I'm his son. My new identity is Christ in me, the hope of a bit of glory, right? The hope of a bit of goodness. And now I'm going through the process of becoming like Christ. And he's working in me as I become his disciple and then eventually become a leader of influence. In other words, there's a process that goes on inside of me. But it all begins with this, God's spirit giving birth to your spirit. And you go, oh, I'm a son. I did nothing to deserve it. I just said, thank you. I just accepted what he did on the cross. And I became a son of God. Not a son on paper, but an actual son of God. My spirit came alive to God. Wow. Everybody say, wow. That's what sonship is. Right? But listen. Only when we... Now, all that that I've just said... For some of you, you might have been coming to church 20 years and you've never heard it before. It's the day you realize what sonship means, that you're on the path to becoming a disciple. Yeah. It's the day we grasp. Just think about this for a moment. Luke 3, don't turn there. I'll just explain it. It'll come up later, but don't put it up now. Wisdom. Um, Jesus comes to the Jordan. He's just about to start his ministry. It's before his ministry. Say before. before. Before his ministry, he comes to the Jordan. He's baptized in water, which is something we still do today. And then the Holy Spirit fell on him. And he heard a voice saying what? 
This is my son whom I love. Listen to this. This has to get into your heart this morning. In who I am well pleased. He hadn't done anything yet. We've got to realize he's pleased with us before we do a thing. This is sonship. I'm just a kid. He hadn't even started. And it has to start with, I'm pleased with you. You're my son. I love you. That has to come before any discipleship talk. He loves me. I'm forgiven. I'm liked. And listen to this. It's because it's in the sonship that all our slavery disappears. All our fears go away when we realize I'm so loved. I'm so loved. It's so hard to put a foot wrong because he loves me so much. Do the next slide if you would, wisdom. Listen to this. Romans 8.21 calls it the glorious liberty of the sons of God. Let me read these two scriptures to you. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. And they're going, oh, I can't hear talk of discipleship and discipline and growing and stretching and life in circles and people interfering with my world. (laughs) Right? The spirit does not make you slaves to all that kind of mindset so that you're living in fear of, of, of others and leaders and Bible and truth. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. In other words, sonship is opposite to slavery. Yeah, yeah but have a do. And by him, we cry by the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit that makes something inside of us go, not father. <laughs> you know, it's not Downton Abbey. Oh, Peter. Papa, you know, I, I tried to get Zach to call me sir. I think it's my little house on the prairie background, right? And I was like, no, Zach, sir. And then I tried the papa thing. He literally cried over me trying to get him to call. I, I said, I won't respond to you till you call me papa. He would get so frustrated. You're not papa, you're daddy. <laughs> He's not, get your heart right. Primarily. The spirit of God coming into your life sets you free from fear and you get for the first time, you get the truth of this. Daddy, my daddy, it's parental love. It's a father's love. And it's the Holy Spirit that does that. The the spirit himself testifies, keeps, keeps whispering and shouting and witnessing inside you. You're God's, you're God's kid, you're God's child. Lose all the fear, he loves you. There are no plans to harm you anywhere in my mind. I love you because you are his sons. Galatians says God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out inside of us, gets us to cry out. Somehow you're my daddy. I don't even get it fully. I'm preaching it. I don't get it. But somehow it's Abba, daddy, father. So you're no longer a slave. Look at that. But God's child. And since you're a child, God has made you also an heir. In other words, good things, inheritance is coming your way. Blessing from heaven comes your way. Right? Parental love is incredibly powerful. Right? It's not not the love of a boss or a nice school teacher. As as wonderful as Darren and Rachel are, I'll pick on you know, a family of school teachers, what they feel for Owen and Lana is not what they feel for the kids in their class. Yes. 
as much as they love the kids in their class and would verbalize that now and would be loving teachers. But there is a whole wave of emotion, a surge of care, a, a, a longing that will drive them to help Owen and Lana on another level. Agreed? Yes. God is saying, I have parental love for you. Not the love of a schoolmaster or the love of a teacher or the love of a boss. I have surges of mercy and longing and grace towards you. I love you. You're my child. That's what God feels towards you. I watched, anybody watch Piers Morgan Killer Women the other night? It's scary, wasn't it? But so this, this week, Piers Morgan Killer Women, I wouldn't recommend it. It sent me, quite, it sent me to bed quite distraught. But anyway... And there's the story this week, he interviewed a girl who was now in her mid-twenties. When she was 16, her parents made a split up from her boyfriend. So she got the boyfriend to kill the family. She got her boyfriend to kill her father, mother, and two small brothers. And so, middle of the night, he bursts into the room, he shoots the father, he shoots the mother, then kills her with a samurai sword, he shoots one of the little children uh, and then he stabs the other child. The father survives. All the others die. And Piers Morgan said to this young 24-year-old woman, she's serving 42 years minimum, says, what's your relationship now with your father? He's forgiven me. He has told me he has unconditional love for me. And he will stand by me all the years of my life. When I leave here, I'm going to go and stand with him. Probably won't because he's so, you know, the age of 42 years. Probably never happened, but stand with him at the graveside. My daddy, she said, with tears streaming down her cheeks, has stood by me and loves me with all his heart. He says he has nothing but unconditional love for me. That is parental love. There's nothing you can do to stop the tempest of his grace towards you. If you grasp this, discipleship seems like nothing when you realize, little changes in our world seem like nothing when you realize there is nothing you could do on this planet that would stop me running like the prodigal son's father. And when you're ready to give your little spiritual religious speech about how wrong you'd got it and you wish life was better, he ignores it. He throws his arms around you like the story of the yeah. prodigal son. He hugs you. He kisses you. And, and it, it, there are things to be said. There are things to talk about. That, that's not the primary thing here. The primary thing is your home. You're my son. I love you. Let's have a party. Party. I need correction. Listen, let, leave correction to another day, another month, another season. Right now, let's remember you are primarily my son. Yeah. Primarily, I love you. And there's nothing you can do to change my unconditional love for you. Yeah. That's the kind of... And his spirit causes your spirit to get it. Yeah. Abba. Wow. Yeah. Abba. There's nothing I can do. Yeah. Nothing I can do. Just do the next slide, if you would, wisdom. So just a few scriptures about that. And then I'll tell some stories and we'll end. So we've done the, the top two. Remember, sonship and slavery are opposites. That's why it's called the glorious liberty. I'm a son. I'm not a hireling. I don't work in this place. I work, if I, if I have a job in this place, I work out of sonship. I work because it's, it's the family thing that we do, right? I learn as a disciple because one day I've got to inherit all this stuff. I don't work to get income. I work out of income. Oh, sounds good. Uh, 
Well done, Jared. Great preaching. (laughs) You say you want to feel the love of God? Romans 5, verse 5. Let me tell you how you sense the love of God. I want you to catch this. It's slavery over here and fear and bondage and la, 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 la. I can't hear all those truths. There's chapters in the Bible I can't read. It's just too much, too much, too much. It's slavery. Need to drink the cup of freedom because over this side, it's the Holy Spirit, sonship and freedom. Right? We need to take our journey. He has poured his love into our hearts. You want to know what the Holy Spirit does? Pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. No wonder when the Spirit came on Jesus in Luke 3, it was, you're my son. Who, when you sense the Holy Spirit, the primary thing that I feel is approval. Anybody has the same thing? I just, whoa. Every now and then there's a bit of, whoa, respect kind of fear, you know. Whoa. But most of the time it's, oh, thank goodness he loves me. Oh, thank goodness. He's poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Uh, the next one, where the Spirit of the Lord is. There's freedom. Right? He comes to break every chain, break every chain. Break every chain. If you're in fear, you need the Holy Spirit. Yeah. If fear is your, is your overriding thought pattern in the middle of the night, hypochondria, worry, even spiritual fears. Oh, have I got this? Have I got this? Is God going to do something nasty to me? Listen, change all that. God loves you. Yes. Let his spirit fill you so your heart starts to speak truth. Abba, Daddy, where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom or liberty. Perfect love casts out all fear. The word perfect there means matured, brought to completion. In other words, catch this. If I can get my understanding of his love to maturity, there'll be no fear in me. That's why mature Christians can say this about everything. Do not worry. There's not a thing to worry about. Why? Because I've taken my understanding of his love to a higher place. I've journeyed in his love and realized it's not a thing to worry about. He's already in my tomorrow, beckoning me forward. I don't know what tomorrow brings, but I know who holds tomorrow. Come on, all those lovely phrases, those fridge magnets that we love. He's holding it. I got nothing to fear. He's prepped it already. I'm totally cared for. Do not be anxious about anything. Those who are mature in love go, I get it. Because he's already sorted it. He sorted it before I had a problem. Yabba dabba. (laughs) Right? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but love, power, and a sound mind. I think God's going to break some chains of fear, anxiety in people this morning. He he wants you to know love, power, and a sound mind. And the bottom one, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Now, we kind of, who thinks this is a slightly scary scripture? I think we don't quite get it. If you love me, listen, if you're walking in a loving relationship with God, it will seem the most natural thing in the world to fulfill his commands. So listen, struggling with what we might perceive as disobedience, or I'm not getting it right, nor I don't want to, rebelliousness, you know, in our own hearts. And we frustrate ourselves with that at times. It's, don't try and thumbscrew yourself down to be better. Walk back to the beginning of the verse. Somehow I'm missing his love. Somehow I'm not getting the size of his love because my heart doesn't easily want to obey. So rather than trying to go, oh, I've got to obey, I'm going to go, God, can I have a bit more of that love? Can I have so much love that obeying seems really easy? You know, so when the teacher goes tithe, we go, wow, yes. I think I lost you there. (laughs) But that's the kind of stuff I mean. It means nothing to those who are growing in love. Your primary identity isn't disciple. 
we're trying to get there together as a body because God's told us to make disciples. But let's remember the first thing. First things first, you're loved. Yeah. I remember being, you know, kind of down and, uh, and a bit depressed in life. And, and, and I remember being in, it was, I was in Bible school and I was kind of lying on the carpet pretending to pray. And I was just, I was just a bit so discouraged I wasn't really praying. So I was so discouraged I wasn't hearing. Yeah. Right? That's just it. like where we started. And, um, uh, but it, I'd, I'd positioned myself in the presence of God. There's people around me praying and I don't really know what happened, but I suddenly had this sense and it was like I was stood on a mountain and there before me was God. And I mean, he was huge. His legs went down into the valley, his arms up into the sky and he raised up these arms, kind of like mine, like Arnold Schwarzenegger's and he shouted, <laughs> what do you mean? And he shouted, you are my son. Wow. You are my son. And when I went for a walk this morning and for half the walk, all I did, because that was about 24 years ago. But if I walk around and I repeat how, how he said it, as well as what he said, my spirit comes alive. Because I remember, you are my son. Never forget. You might feel like a failure. You might feel shamed. You might feel small. You might feel silly. But listen, you are my son. And number one, I'm built like a, like a 11 story Arnold Schwarzenegger. You're my son. In other words, this strong spiritual DNA in you. Buck up, buddy. But also, he was shouting it unashamed. I was ashamed of me. He wasn't ashamed of me. You are my son. It transformed me. I don't think you can really step into ministry or destiny till you've heard the words. You are my son. The parental love I have for you is going to overwhelm everything you face if you let me. I won't, uh, like the prodigal son's father, I won't run after you. But all the love you could ever dream of is right here at home waiting for you. But when you come this way, I will run towards you. And I will love you. I remember another, uh, I've had three encounters really about the presence and the, fatherhood of God, or three I want to share with you, but you know, these cross kind of 30 years, so don't think it happens every two minutes, but I remember another, I was in a, a kind of half, half asleep, half dreamy sort of state, and I remember um, walking through this temple, and there before me in this dream stood Jesus, and I, of course this doesn't happen every day or every night, and I, I'm looking, and he's got this thing wrapped in cloths in his arms, and, and he says, unwrap it. And it's just in a dream. I'm not saying it's theology or anything like that. It's just what I, what I experienced. And I, I unwrapped it, and there was a baby. And I was single at the time, and I was like, Jesus, don't give me a baby. <laughs> it's not a good word, not a, you know, bad theology somewhere there. So I go to God in my thoughts. I kind of think, w- w- what's this? And Jesus said to me, this is your spirit. And now I start to go, oh, that's just weird. Let me just think. And then he started to talk to me, listen. Jared, you're supposed to be childlike inside. He said, this is your spirit. Don't abuse it. In other words, stop trying to be sophisticated and together. And to, You know, I'm the kind of guy, I want a business card that says man of God and lion tamer on it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and he, he says, not your primary identity. And you will actually abuse with religiousness and pride the beautiful thing I give you, which is a childlike spirit. Be childlike. Yeah. He talked to me about half an hour, 40 minutes about, don't do this, do this. And it was always essentially, be childlike, be childlike, be childlike, be childlike. Finally, my third little one I remember, is this was a dream. Again, I'm, 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 I'm lying on the floor and kind of resting my head on 
on, on someone, angel, I don't know what. And then Jesus again walks up to me and he's got a piece of bread in his hand and he just comes up and he says, eat this, it will make you a man of God. And he disappeared. And immediately the verse that came into my mind was, it's the bread of the presence. Eat this, it will make you a man of God. Listen, when you eat the bread of God's presence, the Holy Spirit, when he fills you, sonship fills you, approval fills you, and all this other stuff falls into place when we primarily grasp, he loves me. He absolutely adores me. And there's not a thing I can do that will quench his unconditional parental love for me. He will stand by me all the days of my life. That's how much he loves me. Let's stand together in God's presence. If the band could come up. Can I have that mic, Chris? Thank you. Does that make sense? So before you can be a disciple, you've got to get this sonship thing. It deals with all our fears. Ultimately in the process. And I, I think we come back to the cup of deliverance. Anybody? It's probably a few been, been Christians 30 years and gone, I think I need to go and have a drink from that cup again for a minute because stuff's coming up in my life that I thought I dealt with. Anybody been there? Right? And I'm not talking about having demons. I'm talking about having attitudes and, and atmospheres around our lives. I prayed for a woman on, on last Sunday night. I was in Lincoln. And we, there was a load of instant healings of pain left people's body. Then there's a woman who hadn't spoken for two years. And I put my hand on her neck and I said to her, and I addressed it like an atmosphere that had come against her. She hadn't spoken for two years since her husband died. And I prayed and I, I, I said for that thing to leave her life. Then I said, now say the name of Jesus. And she started to go, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, she hadn't spoken for two years. Sometimes there's stuff that just needs to come off us, get out of us, anxieties and fears. Freedom is what he made you for. It's for freedom that he set you free. Here in the presence of God, this 